Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. Welcome along to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, we'll find out where we're at in terms of e-scooter legislation and what impact it'll have on our roads. Kira Tracy reviews the game you've all been waiting for, Bratz Flauncher Fashion, and we'll get an update on Ireland's startup sector. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Instagram at jesskellynt. We may also have a little look at what uh, Elon Musk and Twitter have been up to this week, purely because I simply cannot help myself. But we're going to start this week with e-scooter legislation. This is one of those stories, a bit like the National Broadband Plan back in the day, where I feel like we're constantly saying, this month it's going to happen, this month it's going to happen, and it hasn't happened yet. But will it happen soon? Ashling Dunn of Bolt is with me now. Ashling, uh, we've spoken many times about this over the last wee while. Before we look at what our roads will look like once the legislation comes to pass, uh, where are we at as of right now? So that legislation, the Road Traffic and Roads Bill, appeared before the Shannad at committee stage last month there at the beginning of February. And some interesting issues arose around data protection and um, specifically to do with bus connects and the ability to enforce um, rules around staying out of bus lanes and that's detection. So that's gone back um, to the Department of Transport for consideration and will ultimately, I think, come back before the Cabinet before re- reappearing before the Shannad and then go back to the Dáil. So I suppose because the Road Traffic and Roads Bill is such a, a meaty piece of legislation and deals with a whole range of issues and um, the regulating of scooters has been held up by the other issues that have arisen, which is unfortunate. Yeah, this is, it's almost a Groundhog Day situation where it feels like we're constantly coming back to this. When are we expecting the legislation to be fully passed and then implemented? So, um, Based on the the current steps that are still required, the expectation is that this will come back before the Shannon in the next two to three weeks and then be back in the Dáil a week or so later. So we'd be very hopeful that this legislation will have passed all stages and be enacted uh, or signed into law by the end of May at the latest Um, And then the regulations are still required. So my understanding is that the regulations are being worked on in tandem um, and, and they are being progressed but ultimately they will have to be sent to the European Commission for consideration because if they include anything that would be deemed anti-competitive, so, you know, requirements around scooters that somebody might believe to be anti-competitive, and um, they have to be shared with all other member states and given them an opportunity to respond. So that adds a further three months onto any regulations which will follow. So we're still looking at probably the autumn and um, before scooters will be legally able to be used on our streets. Okay, so there's a bit of a road to go. Um, One of the things that people are either excited or uh, nervous about is the notion of the uh, scooter sharing. So we know that in some cities around the country, we've got bike share services where you can just sign up to an account, grab a, a bike and off you go. How soon after the legislation has passed will we have the shared scooters? Well... 
That is, uh, that's definitely the million dollar question. And um, that sort of depends on councils and their level of readiness. And um, there are a lot of councils at the moment are thinking about it and working on it. I know the Department of Transport is, um, you know, trying to prepare guidelines and, and give, give councils, you know, some support around what should be required. You know, obviously different councils will have different requirements depending on, on, on various factors in their location, but what should be kind of the, the universal baseline requirements and how they should be rolled out, whether there should be competition, those kind of things. It's important that I suppose the councils get some guidance from central government and then also are given flexibility to, to do it in their own way. Um, so it will depend on how soon the department can get those guidelines to the councils and how ready the, the councils are themselves, whether or not they need to bring in bylaws, whether they want to go to tender or whether they want to operate a license system whereby, you know, any any operators who meet the certain criteria are, are given a license to operate. There are still a fair few unknowns, but it's something that we're eager to, to engage with the councils to, you know, to try and help them start thinking through these various issues. Yeah, anyone who's been to any of the major European cities or indeed in the US, I think they're in Australia as well, they, they'll be familiar with these um, sh shared services. One of the things that I, like I think e-scooters are great and we'll talk through the benefits of them in a second, but I was in Rome in February and the, one of the most frustrating things about walking the streets of Rome was discarded scooters on the sides of footpaths and so on. Is that something that can be legislated against or are there parameters that can be put in place to prevent that type of thing from happening? Absolutely. So um, I can give you the perfect example of how it should be done. Um, we operate e-bikes in Sligo and Kilkenny, and we will soon be operating them in Bray and Wexford. And we are only allowed to operate them in on the basis that they must be parked. So all journeys must start and end in virtual parking bays. Uh, and that was on foot of our proposal to the councils. So, um, for example, in, in Sligo, if you want to start a journey, open your app and you can see, I think it's about 52 parking locations within the town of Sligo. And only there will you find an e-bike. And then you look at where you're going to and you can see where is the closest virtual parking bay to that. And that is where you finish your journey. So um, that is what we're doing in cities across Europe for e-scooters. Um, not every city. Some cities don't require it. They don't want it. They want the ultimate with flexibility for the users. I think in Ireland, given the size of our footpaths, narrow roads, narrow footpaths, and um, virtual parking bays are an absolute must. And I, I really don't think, uh, you know, the, the kind of model that you've seen in Rome would work here or should work here. I think it presents a lot of difficulties for other pedestrians and road users. But the virtual parking bays allow you to roll out a scheme much faster than if you have to require kind of tethered bike stands for every parking location. That's a lot of infrastructure, a lot of cost, um, whereas we can do it using geofencing. And, and how it works is that when a when a person has finished their journey, if they try and stop it outside their house or outside the office, you know, willy nilly on the side of a pathway and not at a virtual parking bay, the, the app just won't let them end their journey. So they'll continue to get charged. So they, they have to return it to a virtual parking bay and therefore they have to, to comply with that orderly parking. And that's what we hope to see with e-scooters as they get rolled out in Ireland. Well, that is good. And, you know, as an as an e-scooter fan, I think it's reassuring to hear that those 
um, types of facilities and also penalties for people who don't behave properly are, are in place in, in terms of the bikes and so on because that is a bit of a pain point. Um, another area of concern is, uh, relates to the use of footpaths versus bus lanes. Where is it likely, given where we're at with the legislation, uh, that these scooters will be allowed to operate? So it seems from, from what the department and the minister have been saying is that e-scooters will absolutely not be allowed to be used on footpaths. Um, and that's something that, again, we would support for Ireland. You know, people say, oh, well, they're used on footpaths in other in other cities. And that's true where there are cities that, you know, the footpath is as wide as the road mm-hmm. um, and it's a much more kind of open um, streetscape. In Ireland, by and large, our footpaths are narrow and I just don't think it's appropriate for, for e-scooters to be up on the footpath or bikes. Uh, and that's, you know, been the case for a long time here, um, unless it's, you know, a child or, or, or children, but you shouldn't have a bike or a scooter on the footpath. So uh, my understanding is that the department will ha- will be recommending that they be used in uh, bike lanes and on the general road where there isn't a segregated bike lane and um, what we really want to see is more and more segregated bike lanes for the benefit of all cyclists and users of scooters and that's the safest way to use any of these kind of light mobility solutions. Part of that though will be will require I'd imagine an enhancement of bike lanes around the place and I'm not saying that we should have bike lanes as wide as road paths and so on but I know just the one time that I, I came into work from where I live into town, the bus lanes just weren't suitable for the scooter in terms of the potholes were massive. And you were either having to go through a pothole and get a bit of whiplash or, you know, move out further than would probably be comfortable to get around them. Yeah. Is that something that's being talked about as well? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly been part of our ask and our uh, discussions with the, the department um, and, you know, any engagement we've had with the NTA. I guess that is something that is already very much front and centre for them. So with Bus Connects, there is, I think, 200 kilometres of segregated cycle lanes um, as part of the rollout of Bus Connects for Dublin alone. So there's significant uh, cycle lanes um, being prepared and built as part of bus connects so they will be you know a huge benefit for e-scooter users and um, cyclists okay and let's talk about the benefits of e-scooters because unfortunately uh, some people have had bad experiences uh, and that is usually as a result of somebody who's being irresponsible on a scooter rather than the majority or, or what I'd like to think would be the majority but in terms of getting people out of cars, uh, taking some of the pressure off maybe aspects of our public transport systems in the big cities, there are a a number of benefits to to having uh, not only shared scooters, but also private scooter use as well. Absolutely. Um, Our our research shows and international research shows that um, the major that 40 percent of journeys taken in cities are for three kilometres or less. Now that, you know, those are the kind of journeys that really are perfectly primed to be moved towards um, bikes, scooters, walking as well, uh, and any range of of these kind of low emitting um, electric solutions. So the potential benefits for getting up to 40% of car journeys, uh, you know, people out of their cars is unbelievable in terms of on our emissions, on the congestion for, for the 
to then allow for the people who do need to travel by car and to allow for the buses to get through more easily and to have a greater impact on our ability to enjoy our city and, you know, be able to sit outside and, and have wider footpaths that, you know, the benefits are endless. And we just need to, I suppose, have the services available to people. And I guess in, in answer to your point about, you know, people using them in a way that is um, dangerous or not considerate of other road users, I, I absolutely agree with you that that's happening. But in the defense of the people who are using scooters and sometimes using them inappropriately, there is no guidance currently available for them. So, mm -hmm. you know, because the legislation isn't there, the Road Safety Authority isn't going out and providing guidance. They can't because at the moment they're illegal. So I suppose they can't be saying this is how you should use it and this is how you shouldn't use it because you shouldn't be using them at all. And um, so the RSA isn't able to provide guidance. The guards aren't able to enforce rules oh, you shouldn't be using it up on the path, you should be using it down on the road, because again, they're in this grey area. So in the defence of the people who are using it badly, and obviously they shouldn't be, there shouldn't be two people on a scooter, they shouldn't be up on a footpath, but there is a real vacuum um, of information and guidelines. And, you know, where where that arises, no matter what the mode of transport or what the behaviour is, you will have people, you know, not understanding what is appropriate and what's not appropriate. Yeah, well, I think all of this just reinforces the need for this legislation and hopefully it comes sooner rather than later. Obviously, we wanted to go through as many iterations of approval and so on as required. But, you know, I, I do see people every day of the week on them um, and there is a varying level of responsibility, I suppose, by different users and so on. Um, in terms of Bolt and the, the this rollout, do you guys have scooters ready to go to implement as soon as this happens or is it going to be very much a negotiate with each council and then deliver? Um, well, in answer to the first question, yes, we have scooters ready to go. Uh, we are, you know, set up and ready to launch as soon as we get the green light. Um, but unfortunately, certainly for some of the bigger cities, once they are... Um, kind of regulated for it, there still will be likely, a, you know, a process of engagement with the council. So as much as we'd like to encourage them and, and work with them to be ready, we suspect that there still will be either a tendering or a licensing process that might take a month or two months uh, after they're regulated for. So, uh, you know, not to be defeatist, but realistically, I suppose I don't see shared scooter schemes in the major cities um, rolling out until you know, early next year. So you probably wouldn't launch a scheme in January. It's not really the weather for it. So, you know, it might be kind of February, March by the time everything is done uh, uh, and the full um, kind of decisions have been made about who can operate and what the rules will be for operating. We'd like to see it sooner and we're ready to go sooner. But but realistically, I think that's probably the kind of timeline for the shared schemes. Obviously, it'll be sooner for the private uh, use. Great stuff. Ashing Dawn of Bolt, as always, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks so much for having me. Now, take a listen to this. Oh, it's an unpleasant sound, but that is the sound that will come out of every phone near a UK mast this Sunday. Uh, this is part of their emergency alert system that is being tested for the first time on Sunday. Uh, this is a system that's similar to what's used in the US and in Japan, 
whereby if an event occurs that is deemed to be uh, you know, a risk to life or a risk to people, a decision can be made to deploy uh, that sound along with the notification. So on Sunday, users will get a, a notification saying that this is just a test. Uh, you hit OK or you swipe it away to make it stop. But it's going to play for 10 seconds, which is a long enough time. Uh, but the reason I'm mentioning it is because if you live in one of the border counties in the top part of the country, or if you're planning to travel to the UK on Sunday, uh, just be aware that this will happen. It's not network related. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you have an Irish network SIM card in your phone or anything like that. It's to do with the masts. So it's to do with the proximity of a phone to a mast Uh, And if you're in the range of a UK mast, you will get that notification. And the Irish government uh, issued a notification about this earlier in the week to let people know, firstly, as I said, in the bordering counties or those travelling, but particularly those in domestic violence situations or anybody who may have a hidden mobile phone. Because if your device is 4 or 5G enabled uh, and is running sort of modern enough software on its device uh, it will get that get this notification uh, for those who may be in those situations the only way to prevent it from happening is to turn the phone off not to have it in silent mode because again every phone in the UK regardless of whether it's in silent mode or not will get this notification on Sunday uh, so they're just wanting to let people know about that But it's an interesting development uh, and I do wonder if it's something that we will see here in Ireland because you know when, you know, Met Aaron issues a red weather warning and we all have to stay home or if there's going to be flash flooding or gorse fires or whatever, uh, it might be beneficial to have something like this so everybody gets notified. Now, as I mentioned, it is only on 4 and 5G phones. They are saying that people who don't have 4 and 5G phones will have to rely on people like us, basically traditional media, to get the word out there. So it's not a replacement for other forms of communication. It's just an additional form of communication. I'd love to know what you think. Do you think we should have one here in Ireland? Would it be beneficial? You can email me techtalk at newstalk.com. I think it's a great idea. My only fear factor is that it will be used too much. You know, like the news outlets that send a push notification every time somebody smiles in a photograph or something inconsequential happens, it would have to be reserved for emergencies. You know, the dream would be that you build something like this and you have it, but then ideally you'd never have to use it. But in the instance of, you know, severe weather warnings or the cry alert uh, when there is a serious concern about the welfare of a child, um, that, that system has worked very, very well, but it might be beneficial to push a notification to everybody's phone if something like that was triggered. I don't know if it would work in those instances. I'm just thinking out loud and I would love to know your thoughts. You can email techtalk at newstalk.com. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, Kira Tracy is going to review the game that I bet not a single one of you will ever play. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, last week on the show, Stephen O'Leary joined me for an in-depth conversation about Twitter. And it's safe to say the goings-on have continued. This week, those with legacy blue ticks lost their blue ticks. But there were some exceptions. Elon Musk has confirmed that he is personally paying for 
the blue ticks of Stephen King and LeBron James and one or two others. Uh, so despite them not paying their own account and despite Twitter on the label when you click their blue tick saying that they are Twitter blue subscribers and they verified their phone numbers, that's not the case. Stephen King said he wasn't aware of this to begin with, uh, which is just bizarre. You know, Musk is making the decision to personally pay for the verification of somebody else. Does that mean that Stephen King's account is associated with Elon Musk's phone number? How does that work? And does it not undermine undermine sorry the entire system? I just think it's bonkers. And I know that not everybody cares about Twitter and the blue ticks, but as I said last week, and I've been saying for quite a while now, this will have consequences. We're already seeing confusion over who is who or what account is the official account for whatever organisation. And I get the business case from Twitter's point of view. They are a business. They need to make money. They want to get those subscriptions in. But it's very messy. Uh, And there's almost a badge of honour now amongst those who refuse to pay the $8 or €11. So I don't know where this ends and I don't know what the perfect solution is. Personally speaking, I haven't paid uh, the €11 for the Twitter Blue. Um, I have mentioned before on the show that I don't really use Twitter as much anymore at all, uh, unless it's to talk about this show or to share news on a tech story. In a personal capacity, I'm just not using it at all. Uh, and I don't think I'd pay $11 a month for the privilege of getting abused by Egypts, which is predominantly what my Twitter experience has been over the last number of years. Uh, but I'd love to know what you think. Do you still use Twitter? Did you ever use Twitter? Do you pay for the blue tick? Uh, you can email me techtalk at newstalk.com. Uh, John Riley of TheEffect.net was here a few weeks ago talking about the best VR titles for the PSVR 2 and there were oodles to choose from and we decided we had to come back to gaming this month. But rather than do the games that you're dying to play, let's do a game that nobody should ever play but one person opted to play it and then talk about it on national radio. Uh, Kira Tracy, welcome back. Hi Jess, thank you. I'm very excited to let this out. <laughs> like, So for those who don't know, Kira works with us here at News Talk and she has an open invite to come on this show any day of the week, even though it's just on Saturdays, <laughs> uh, and talk about anything in the world. Yeah. And you turned to me the other day and you said, can I come on and talk about Bratz flaunt your fashion? Yeah, I actually hated having to type that to you. (laughs) I can't believe I'm 23 years old and I had to type those words and send it to you. I'm an adult. But yes, so I was very lucky to be on Tech Talk a few months ago before Mm -hmm. Christmas to talk about the new Pokemon game on the Switch. And I had the best Christmas ever. I was just in my own world of nostalgia and it was incredible. Really good game. I also got Zelda. I played that. I flew too close to the sun when I picked up Bratz Flaunt Your Fashion because I was expecting again, because I, I played a Bratz game in my childhood called Bratz Real. It was based on the movie. Loved it. Incredible. Me and my sister got hours mm-hmm. of fun out of that. So I was like, what could go wrong? It will be amazing. Okay, before we talk through the game, let's yes. just break it down because I'm yeah. not sure how many of the Tech <laughs> yeah. Talk audience uh, played with Bratz. Understandably. Or know what Bratz are. I know about it because my little sister, he's also called Yasmin, as is one of the Bratz, um, was obsessed with them. So they're weird Barbie-shaped things with massive heads, right? Yes, basically a proper Y2K Barbie doll. Mm-hmm. Um 
may be considered a bit more fashionable, a lot more makeup savvy. They were, I suppose that is just the best way of describing it, very Y2K. Okay. And they were very, very popular. And as with popular things, they then get franchised into movies, TV shows, all that sort of jazz. So tell me about the game that you played when you were younger. Was it on a DS? It was on a DS. Yeah, it was. And it was kind of based on Bratz the movie that came out in the mid to late 2000s Mm -hmm. and it actually included like real life like movie play in the game and it was just I don't even know how it was just kind of like a cozy game I Mm -hmm. guess you have different challenges meet different people explore the kind of brat's world if you will and that I found really fun I felt like there was just so much to explore and like it was a game that kept on going like you didn't finish it quickly okay so it was well targeted and well placed it I was massively for the, the fans of brats who were into gaming so I can kind of almost understand why you went yeah. and picked this up so I I, I'm looking at the image of the casing here now so it's purple with the pink brats logo with the little mm-hmm. halo on it for the Colleen are there uh, with the New York skyline I think maybe in the background um what what's the concept set out the scene for oh this game oh my god see that's what I've been scratching my head trying to actually <laughs> think of Jess what is the point okay. so okay there's no real storyline but basically in this game the Bratz gals are reporters they are star reporters all fashion all of that they are um, basically journalists for something called like the Bratz magazine so I thought this would be right up my mm. street I thought this is going to be so much fun um, but I don't know what the actual point is. I feel like you can dress them up and like do their makeup and things like that, but that actually doesn't appeal to me. There was no real storyline. The concept, I guess, was to build up the fan base of the magazine by getting pictures of cool things like a talent show or meeting random people on your trip to the mall or the airport or things like that and kind of complete little quests for them like Mm. oh I need to make a smoothie but I can't find any oranges can you find them for me yeah okay I know I okay this is a child's game I understand but after I had so much success with Pokemon and Zelda playing those again you know the new versions of those I just thought it would grow with the audience a little bit if you know what I mean yeah because no. there are games like I always talk about it with John but like the game that I play pretty much every day of my life is Animal Crossing and that yes. is a game that's suitable for kids and it's aimed at kids yeah. but at 34 I still play it every damn day and I love it Yeah. and so you would think that the longer you're in gameplay uh, the more complex some of the challenges might come or there may be an element of something to overcome yeah. or no, no real arch or anything like that it was just kind of mosey on about and I can imagine it would be comforting and for some people and to be honest it made me kind of massively reflect like was I just playing trash games all my life Mm. but I don't know I don't think so I don't think so or maybe again like I said I just flew too close to the sun and thought this would be like the others or maybe this was just a bad game I did look at reviews after I started playing it mistake I should have started on that yeah and a lot of people said the same it's glitchy um the graphics are better than what they used to be as you'd expect Mm. after you know well over a decade um, and the Switch of course so yeah I don't know it was just very underwhelming that is disappointing I I had a look at other reviews I'm sad to say I didn't actually give it a go myself and from what I've read and what you've just said I wonder would this still be too basic for kids as well I would think so like my niece is eight and I think she'd get bored just taking pictures and making smoothies 100% there's nothing like stimulating about it at all. It is just a wild goose chase. They'd be like, 
you're in like the shopping center and they'll be like, oh yeah, I need to find my purse. Mm -hmm. Literally that boring. And then you just go onto the map, wait for it to load up the park and then you'd find it there and go back. It's zigzag. Um, and it was literally, I and one review was that it's a really short game. You can finish it in like four hours. God knows I did not find the time, the patience mm. to actually want to get through it because it is just that painful. But that's kind of funny as well, though, that it can, be, it can be completed in four hours. If it's just the mundane tasks and all the yeah. rest, you just think, oh, what's the point? I could be missing something, Jess. I might get to the fourth hour and it turns out it's amazing, but... It really is not enticing. Like before I knew I was going to be talking about it, I was like, right, I'm going to play it again. Maybe I'll find something else new or something like that. But I literally had to put it down after 10 minutes because like this is so repetitive Mm. and so boring that I can't. And it's not cheap either for the Switch as well, which is probably the most disappointing thing as well. It's no, no bang for your buck at all. Yeah, and I think this is, as much as we're kind of joking about it, there are parents who are, you know, would have bought a Switch for the kids or maybe Santa brought one and they're looking for titles the entire time. And it's not a given just because it's part of this massive franchise that it's going to be a good game. 100%. I spoke to you before, I think, about I used to love the Professor Layton games. I used to love the brain training games. And I can't remember how old, I might have been like 11, 12, 13 or so when I was playing them. And there were aspects to them that were too complex for me that I couldn't get past. Right. But at least I was challenged and I was engaged. Exactly. There was none of that. I remember it's just any of the, even like I had the Jonas Brothers game when I was like oh 11. Oh my God, you really did have all this junk. <laughs> I know, I really did. My parents are amazing <laughs> for, <laughs> for indulging me in that. And even that, I remember I got stuck on that and I don't even think I completed What was that. the concept of the Jonas Brothers game? Oh my God, that's bringing me back. I think that was actually kind of a similar concept, but there was more of a storyline. It was like, we want to rock out and have parties. And basically, like, you, there was a lot more play with, like, the school and interaction and, like, mini games in the game that were actually quite good, like, okay. playing instruments, that kind of thing. But I was a massive Jonas Brothers fan. I know I'm going down a rabbit hole yeah, right now. Yeah, this is very tragic. <laughs> it's saying a lot. It's character development. Okay, clearly. I have to say. Yeah, and look at you now. Um, <laughs> yeah, playing okay. games. Well, so, okay, we're, we're, we're not a fan of this Bratz game, is the su- summary here. Yeah, really disappointing. However, I don't think it will deter me from, like, my quest to seek out nostalgia. So what's, what's the next on the list? Are there other games that you think I want either to revisit that original version or see what the updated version is like? So I feel like there's not a lot of the original games that have translated into Switch. So I think I mentioned Harvest Moon, mm-hmm. similar concept to Animal Crossing, but with more of a storyline, um, which I suppose Animal Crossing lacks but doesn't need. Uh, and it's changed now to four seasons. I think there was a slight change in the company. So now Harvest Moon is four seasons and it's the same farming concept of basically like, you know, grow your farm, grow relationships in the village, that kind of thing. That seems to be really popular still. And I think that will be next on my list. Okay, if there are any other nostalgia filled games that you think Kira should test, uh, email techtalk at newstalk.com. And uh, I was going to say we'll put her through more misery, but she's clearly having a whale of a time. <laughs> uh, Kira Tracy, thank you so much. Thank you. Now, speaking of nostalgic gaming, the other evening I arrived home from work a bit tired and a bit cranky, and my boyfriend was watching a movie on Apple TV. It's called Tetris. Take a listen. Tetris. It's the perfect game. I'm going to go to Moscow. Secure worldwide handheld rights. You're walking into a communist country. They're still considered America enemy numero uno. If you go, we can't protect you. Okie dokie. 
The movie is an extraordinary story set in Soviet Russia in 1989 about different people from all over the world pursuing this incredibly hot property. My character, Hank, is a kind of larger-than-life cowboy figure who goes out on a limb to make his fortune and get the rights to Tetris. When I first found Tetris, I was a publisher of computer games in Japan. The people who were publishing it had no idea what they had. I got the console rights in Japan, and then Game Boy came out. Gentlemen, if you want to sell a couple hundred thousand Game Boys to little kids, that comes in with Mario. But if you want to sell millions of Game Boys, them with Tetris. I made a deal with the president of Nintendo USA. A month later, I was on a plane to Moscow to get the Game Boy rights. We're in a room full of eight business people. There are definitely some KGB guys in the room. You go home today, or you stay and face the consequences. Alexei Pajitnov and I first met in that room. I used the original creator of Tetris. Hank was the first man Alexei can talk about computers to. Alexei, your game is brilliant. I'm gonna make you a millionaire. I do not have right to receive money from my game. Well, that, that's criminal. No, it is communism. That is a snippet of Tetris on Apple TV and it is just incredible. It's inspired by the true story of how one man risked his own life and indeed the lives of his family to outsmart the KGB and bring Tetris to the masses. I knew nothing about this story. I love a bit of Tetris. I play it as often as I can. I used to have, uh, I still have it somewhere actually, a clear Game Boy Um it was the Game Boy Color that I had because I was a bit too young to have the original Game Boy. Uh, but I love Tetris and I still have the app on my phone and I play it all day, every day. But I knew nothing about the story behind it. Uh, and it is incredible. This is really well done. Uh, there's elements of animation alongside really witty humor, great acting. So if you're looking for something to watch this week, uh, definitely take a look at Tetris on Apple TV. So there you go. That's my uh, infrequent recommendation of TV and movies here on News Talk. But when we come back, we'll hear from Enterprise Ireland about supporting Irish startups. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. And in just a few minutes' time, John Fardy's going to be back with screen time. John, how are you? I'm very well. All the better for being here. Have you recovered from the uh, inslaught of fan mail after I appeared on screen time last week? I had to hire in some extra help just to work through the deluge of emails. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, thanks no, for it was good. Your favorite movie, in case people didn't hear it, it's your show, obviously. But on my show, you picked Stand by Me, which had never been chosen before, and people love that film. A lot of people got in touch with me on Instagram, yeah. and I got a few DMs from people who hadn't thought about the movie since they were teenagers yeah. and they were kind of like, geez, the, the, the layers to it and whatever. Know, yeah. And then I, I was posting about it over the weekend that it was on Netflix and a few people that I went to school with watched it and then messaged me being like, oh my God. Like it, This is how I see screen time. It brings disparate souls together. You know, people but, haven't seen each other in years. But it's know? just funny how when, I suppose when you reflect back on a movie that you might have seen first in childhood or teenage years, it does evoke different emotions. Absolutely. It's like books as well. There's movies contain people's lives or mm. certain aspects of their lives and you can open that Pandora's box and all sorts of stuff can come flooding back. And that slot on my show where people talk about their favourite movie is probably the most popular because people carry aspects of their life and times in their lives around with their favourite movies like they do with their favourite books. So it can often be, you know, emotional and all sorts of things. I know? didn't realise 
I cared as much about it as I did until we literally were mid-conversation. Yeah, I'm bringing light where there is darkness. Jen. I don't think it's anything to do with you. I think it's just I'm a really deep person. Uh, but the nicest message I got in the back of it, mm-hmm. our dear friend Tom Dunn texted me. Oh, really? Saying he found the vinyl of the soundtrack. Oh, wow. And he's going to give it to me. What a very Tom Dunn thing to say. And I'm saying this on national radio so he doesn't back out of it now. I have the screenshot. Tom, if you're listening. But it's not so nice. Yeah, that's lovely. So the soundtrack. And then I did play Stand By Me at the end of the show. I was listening, Chicken. I know. Uh, It is a great soundtrack, though. Because I I watched the movie. I I was watching it uh, just before I was chatting to you. And then I watched the full thing again over the weekend. And the music in it is, to use Tom Dunn's expression, sensational. Sensational. <laughs> it is. It There's no was. other word for it. Sometimes only sensational will do. That's a Tom Dunnism. Uh, okay, so who's following in my big shoes this week? Well, Gary Hines, the director of the Druid Theatre Company, that well-known theatre director. She's talking about her favourite movie. What I'm really excited about on the show this week is Jim Broadbent, the Oscar winner, is in a new movie called The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry. And he's talking to me along with his co-star uh, Penelope Wilton. And we have all the week's new releases which include a great new horror movie called Evil Dead Rise Mm, Sounds grim (laughs) Great, tune in for that John, thanks Mel. Thank you Now earlier this week Enterprise Ireland took over the RDS and they hosted their startup showcase looking at some brilliant companies that have gone from strength to strength not only in the last 12 months but over the last 25 years. I'm delighted to say that Jenny Melia, Executive Director with Enterprise Ireland, joins me now. Uh, Jenny, it's great to talk to you. The last time we spoke was in Austin as part of the EY Entrepreneur of the Year uh, CEO retreat. And we were talking about the work that you do, uh, but also the great companies that are emerging. Can you just tell me a little bit about what you have been highlighting and celebrating this week? We have had the most wonderful morning here in the RDS this morning, Jess, celebrating the 161 startups um, that we supported in Enterprise Ireland in 2022, what we call the class of 2022. Uh, Another brilliant year in terms of the startups that have come through the Irish ecosystem. Uh, The best year in a number of years in in terms of the overall numbers. Uh, Very strong in terms of the number of uh, female founders. Uh, We had 37% of the startups were led by female founders this year. And another really, really important piece for us as well is good regional balance. So uh, just just, uh, over half of the startups were supported outside the Dublin region. Really interesting that you mention Austin because, of course, since we were in Austin, we would have had the final of uh, the EY Entrepreneur of the Year. And uh, the Emerging Company Award was won that night um, by uh, an Enterprise Ireland HPSU uh, one project and uh, the guys uh, Fionn was on one of our panels here today so we've had two brilliant panels of um, current and former HPSUs sharing their experiences around you know scaling and what they have done in terms of you know uh, investing and and, and finding good strong investors to back the business and really importantly what they've done in terms of finding good people good talent hiring well. Yeah the success stories uh, that pass through your doors are just incredible. I want to delve a little bit deeper when you say the 160 that you supported just give people a bit of insight into how when and where Enterprise Ireland uh, supports startups in Ireland. 
Okay, so first of all, in terms of the the the, the 161, 91 of those uh, came through our high potential startup, our HPSU program, and 70 of those, uh, 70 companies then were at an earlier stage and, and they have come through our pre-seed funding. And of course, one of the things we would have done at the end of, of 2022 was we uh, introduced new funding uh, for companies at the pre-seed stage because, you know, feedback from companies was that it was getting more challenging for them in the pre-seed environment and look we've had brilliant take up there in terms of I think we had 150 applications uh, came into us for that pre-seed fund. In terms of what we saw last year uh, about 69% of the companies came through on the ICT fintech uh, side of the house and about 25% through uh, the life sciences uh, and the industrial side of the house and then of course we also have a have a, a good a, a small but a, a strong portfolio that comes through in the food sector every year um, in terms of trends uh, big big focus on digitalization and look you know some of this has been accelerated by COVID as well we've seen you know projects coming through in digital health uh, we've seen projects coming through really really interesting company move ahead uh, who have uh, recently now signed up a partnership with the IRFU um, and that, that was a partnership supported by Enterprise Ireland but what they're doing is they're actually what's the best way to describe this they are encouraging your kids who are, are on their phones and you know spending a lot of time in front of screens they've actually built gaming uh, into the into into the screen activity to encourage the kids to move more and you know to to to, to see what that's like and to be rewarded for that movement and you know that can all be tracked by the parents and so on so i think you know what we're really seeing coming through be it the climate agenda be it the digitalization agenda be it the digital health agenda Irish companies uh, developing solutions here in Ireland to solve not just, um, I guess, you know, challenges and problems that, that, that we see here in Ireland, but also, you know, challenges uh, that are there on the international stage. Yeah, and it's such a broad spectrum of companies that are coming to the fore, which is great. Um, since October last year, we know that there have been a lot of layoffs in the tech sector. Are you now seeing... Uh, you know, people who may have been impacted by that coming to you with their own ideas, because having spoken to people like DC Callahan and Dogpatch Labs, they've hosted, you know, different workshops, different events. And there is that sense, sense of innovation. People who may have been negatively impacted are now looking on the bright side and looking to get a venture of their own started up. Um, I I think we're seeing I think we're seeing some of it Jess um I think you know in general you know despite the announcements on the on on the layoffs and we would have seen this when we were running a, a an event a tech nomad event in Dublin earlier this year there's quite a lot of vacancies you know, still out the ecosystem, you know, vacancies across Enterprise Ireland clients, vacancies across other uh, IDA client companies. But in terms of the people that are coming through and are now interested or ready to take that leap into entrepreneurship, the support system in Ireland has never been as strong in terms of, you know, the, the not just the financial supports, but also the non-financial supports that are available through Enterprise Ireland, through the business incubation centres around the country, through the 31 local enterprise offices and very importantly the support system is joined up because when you do have so many supports in the system it is really really important you have that level of connectedness 
And I think that is something, you know, where Ireland stands out. We we put a lot of time into minding those connections and, and making it as efficient as possible, not just for our entrepreneurs, but for our more established companies as well. And that could be that could be seen really, you know, in the room here this morning in the RDS. We'd almost 800 people here this morning uh, representing not just the entrepreneurs that came through uh, the Enterprise Ireland startup system last year, but also representing, you know, the stakeholders, the partners we're working with across the ecosystem, the VCs, uh, the other funders, the Leos, the business incubation centers, the multinational companies. You know, we had a really, really strong uh, outturn of multinational companies here this morning who are partnering uh, with our HPSUs and helping them accelerate their growth plan. That, that ecosystem is something that Ireland should be very proud of because not every country has it and not every city has it. And we're lucky that it, it exists across our country in, in cities right around the place. Do you think that that has taken a knock with the uncertainty in the tech sector over recent months? I don't think the ecosystem has taken a knock. I think if anything, you know, people people have actually rallied around each other even more. Um, the ecosystem, like uh, like a lot of our startups, you know, it's not an overnight success. And one of the things this week is that you know, Enterprise Ireland is celebrating 25 years of, uh, of being in existence. And, you know, this ecosystem has taken a long time to build out, you know, along with our colleagues, you know, in the IDA and, and the universities uh, and uh, the IO and technological universities as well. So um, I think, you know, we still have a really, really strong ecosystem there. And you're right, you know, like we are the envy of other countries. And in fact, you know, we regularly host uh, delegations from overseas who come to Ireland to see, you know, what we have done to drive the ecosystem development, what we have done to drive uh, the increase in female founders and how we're basically working uh, to internationalize our companies through our, through our overseas offices. You mentioned the female founders there and you alluded to it earlier on as well. Um, this is something that we had spoken about in Austin, just the the trying to encourage women to take the leap into entrepreneurship we cited some examples from the EY program such as you know Amy Connolly who's going from strength to strength is there still work to be done in that regard um there will always be work to be done in terms of the female founder agenda just because we are not 50 50 yet so i mean as great as it is to to, to hit that 37 percent this year and to be ahead of target you know we won't rest until it's 50 50 and that diversity across our, our, our founder pipeline is super important. And I suppose, look, one of the things I always say as well is, you know, diversity is so much more than just gender diversity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have diversity in terms of founders' backgrounds. You have diversity in terms of whether they're first-time founders, whether they are repeat entrepreneurs and they're going again for the second or third time. But no, certainly in Enterprise Ireland, you know, we have a women in business strategy. We are very focused on a delivery delivering that strategy and part of that strategy for us is to bring more female entrepreneurs into the system and to help more female founded companies become investment ready. This week you're focusing on the success stories not only of the last 12 months or so but the longer term interactions that Enterprise Ireland has with some of the great companies here in Ireland. For people who want to get on this journey who have an idea and they've put in some of the legwork but now they need help either expanding or they're just looking for that advice where do they what's the best way to get involved and interact and uh, get anything from advice right up to funding? 
Yeah, so there's there's there, there's a number of avenues for them, Jess. And so if I was to summarise it, I would say one, uh, there's a number of new frontiers programmes uh, running right across the country, and these um, are supported by Enterprise Ireland, but delivered by uh, the institutes of technology uh, or technological universities. If I use if I use uh, the current naming, um, there are also then the 31 local enterprise offices around the country. If someone's at a very very early stage, and they are working through their business plan if they have an export-led business and, and you know maybe there's two or three two or three people who have come together um either stepping out of an existing company or maybe they're they're stepping out of college this year and they're going into entrepreneurship you know straight from that graduate level um i would say talk to talk to our hpsu operations team in enterprise ireland uh, hpsu inquiries at enterprise-ireland.com. And one of the things we would have done uh, back at the start of 2020, we set up a portal called uh, startinireland.com. And that basically signposts people to uh, supports and events and networks um, right across the country. They can find out what's available at local level, at national level. Uh, they can, you know, filter by whatever sector they're in, uh, what stage of growth their business is at. But I would say first port of call, New Frontiers, the HPSU Enterprise Ireland's High Potential Startup, uh, our operations team, and I would say our 31 local enterprise offices around the country. Brilliant stuff. Well, look, it's always good to talk to you and get a sense of what's going on, as you mentioned, right around the country. And uh, long may the success continue. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks, Emil Jess. Take care. That was Jenny Melia of Enterprise Ireland. And that's it from me this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's News Talk Breakfast. But in the meantime, have a great weekend.